Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. It's virtually impossible for me to cover the Roman Empire on this show. It's simply too large and too complex to talk about properly with this format. But one way we can get around that limitation is by looking at it through the lens of a troubled backwater frontier of the empire, the province of Britannia. While rarely at the center of the action, the province is an excellent microcosm of the Roman border states, from their initial contact with the local populations, through quashing uprisings, and complete cultural Romanization, through to the eventual administrative collapse suffered across the empire. Let's begin. Okay, we're here on HI 101 with Phil Downey. I'm back. Welcome back. Thanks, man. It's been a while. Six it has been a while. Uh, maybe even more. Yeah, I... Was going to look at the actual time, but I forgot. I was like June or July, something like that. Yeah, I think it was July. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's it's been a while, but uh, no, I'm excited to have you back. Oh, man, are your listeners going to be mad if I don't remember when I was actually on here last? <laughs> I don't know. I never hear from my listeners. That's the funny thing. I, 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 I get very little feedback from them, except for the people that I know personally. Yeah, exactly. And then they just like text me. So I'm just like, hey, that thing you did was all right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> No, but uh, I don't know. I had one. I had one that was a big fan of Dan, which was kind of kind of cool. Cool. He he was on last month actually, and it was only his, his second time back. But they were like, "Yeah, we need more of that guy on here." Nice. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll hear a little bit more about you this time. Maybe. Anyways, we're going to talk about um, Britain in the Roman era today. Oh yeah, Roman Britannia. And I was really excited to do this one because usually my listeners don't want to talk about ancient history stuff. <laughs> yeah, you seemed really surprised. Like, I don't know, a bunch of my stuff was ancient history. And you're like, oh, geez, this is gonna be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I really enjoy talking about this stuff. But I don't know, people seem to get the idea that maybe anything more than about 500 years ago is kind of kind of hazy. No, I find that stuff almost as interesting as anything else. Sure. It's just, it's like the foundation of everything that came after it. So why not? Yeah. If you could tell me like what happened 10,000 years ago with this level of accuracy, I'd be just as interested. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. There's, there's enough of this stuff that as long ago as it happened, uh, still seems really familiar. Like people are kind of people no matter where you go in history. There's, yeah. there's big differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I bet. Uh, good and bad sometimes. <laughs> But that's how What's it goes. that thing about doomed to repeat something, something history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that saying, but <laughs> hey, I, I, I understand the sentiment. So yeah, Britain, Britain plays an interesting role in the history of the Roman Empire, mostly because it's on the outskirts, right? Like it's sort of tucked away in this, this 
you know, out of the way area. It's so, separate from the continent. I'm already going to interrupt with a question. Yeah, let's do this. This is what, this is what you're here for. <laughs> okay, so I've been playing this uh, web-based game called Diplomacy. Well, it's based on Diplomacy. It's, oh. it's Backstabber. Oh, based on like the the old game diplomacy yeah, yeah. like the the friend ruining yes that's the one months long people play it by like like actual mail yeah it's brutal diplomacy. i i had the wonderful misfortune of starting as italy actually okay. and boy was i screwed that's like 18th century right or 19th century or something like that like yeah 1900s early 1900s, 1900s. okay it starts i think at 1900 so okay Okay. Yeah, Italy in 1900 is not a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, man, like I understand that probably technology had something to do with it, but how did the Roman Empire ever get established? Because I literally could not get a foothold. Right. And now I'm in second to last place. Yeah, well, I mean... Sorry, third to last. We already had... Actually, England was eliminated already. Really? <laughs> yeah, they lost first. England usually underst- does okay in diplomacy just they, because... They didn't understand how to play. <laughs> oh, well, that'll do it. Yep. Yep. No, England in 1900, the, the Navy, the economic position, they should they should have been fun. Yeah, well, they're like sequestered on their own, so they can just basically go wherever they'd like to first. Yeah. It's a good starting spot. Germany was also my first game. I started as Germany and I did very well. Came in second. Right. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about where, where Rome comes from, yeah. I guess a little bit. I was actually going to start with where Britain comes from, but this is probably, let's, at let's least go the other way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I mean, Rome started out as uh, basically a city state. Like that's why we talk about the Roman empire and not the, you know, the Italian empire. Yeah. Like there were, there were other people on the peninsula of Italy called the Latins um, that weren't actually Roman, that Rome had to defeat them first before they went, you know, anywhere further than than just the Italian peninsula. Cool. So, you know, we're, we're talking a couple hundred years uh, BCE here, but Rome, the foundation of Rome is very, like, mythical. Like, the, the stories that we have about it are very mythical, and a lot of the information we have about it isn't very good or Aww. accurate because Rome was probably as you know to the best of our knowledge the kind of place you went when you got kicked out of other places <laughs> why why because it was it was established by a bunch of kind of social pariahs essentially and it was it was a fairly rough town really uh, to begin with yeah absolutely and because of that sort of their social focus was very much uh on military on martial strength and not quite so much on the whole like language and culture type stuff Interesting. Um, they had to choose something to focus on, so they went with the stuff that wasn't their weak suit. Kind of. I mean, it was it was a matter of survival to begin with, and yeah. then it became a matter of a successful strategy. So why bother changing it? Makes sense. And so you know, over over years, they defeated the Latins. They took over the rest of the peninsula, but they were a fairly minor. I don't want to say minor necessarily, but a, a regional power. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a power within Italy. So while Greece is having its heyday. There are Romans, but they're kind of keeping to themselves. It's it's not as though somehow, you know, Greece disappeared and Rome sprang from nothing. It's just that it was a bunch of kind of local warlords that were exerting very local influence. And then something came along called the, uh, the Punic Wars. And this was a war between Rome and um, Carthage. Carthage was a power. They were actually a, um, a merchant 
power. They were an economic power rather than a military power in Tunisia, so on the north coast of Africa. That tracks with what I've learned from civilization. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the most reliable source of history. Hey, it's where I learned a lot. <laughs> um, the Carthaginians went to war with the Romans uh, basically over land on the island of Sicily. Okay. Uh, it was good farm farmland. Apparently there's good pizza there too. <laughs> they hadn't quite gotten there yet. No tomatoes. <laughs> tomatoes are a new world food. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very different cuisine. Yeah. What Prehistoric pizza. <laughs> what a rough time to be alive. <laughs> uh, anyways, they went to war. This is where the whole Hannibal thing comes in. Okay. The general Hannibal. Yep. There's a big war. Uh, well, there's there's a series of three wars, actually. Rome nearly gets, a, nearly gets defeated in all of this, but they managed to push back somewhat through luck, somewhat through tenacity. The Romans have this uh, this tendency to never surrender. You can defeat them. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're beaten. That just means they need to try beating you again. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to go away for a minute and then come kick you in the butt. Yeah, they need to go take a nap. <laughs> it's like, BRB, power nap. All right, die. <laughs> I, I need a Snickers real quick. <laughs> and then I'm coming back to get you. Yeah, you beat me this one time. But boy, let me tell you, next time you are in trouble. With, with the power of my good mood restoration Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> but that was really different than most of the other ancient powers where if you defeated them, they're like, okay, we're beaten. I get it. We, we settled our, our beef. You guys came out on top. Fair enough. Like, let's work out some terms. Was that a social thing, an honor thing? They just didn't feel like fighting anymore thing? Like, why was that the trend? Well, because, I mean, war is a very codified thing. Like, mm-hmm. as, as much as it seems like it's it's very... Well, I was going to say as much as it seems like it's very brutal. Of course it's brutal. It's incredibly brutal. But there were rules to war in... Well, there's always been rules to war. They've just changed a lot over the centuries. It's interesting. There seems to be this trend where anytime we talk about a war worth talking about, Mm -hmm. someone seems to have bucked the trends of war in some way. Yeah, and that's often what makes somebody very successful. Exactly. It's like, we're not going to do things your way, deal with it our way, and then they can't. Yeah. And growing up when we have, we're very used to the idea of total war, like the mobilization of the entire state uh, into a war, um, which you know, sort of began during the Napoleonic Wars and has, has sort of continued and refined throughout, you know, the, the later wars in the 19th century, World War One, World War Two, to the point where, you know, we don't really have traditional wars anymore because of the amount of economic, industrial, um, and manpower that can be brought to bear, right? Like, I mean, the idea of modern nations going to war on the on the scale of, you know, the Second World War is just, like it almost doesn't quite compute because the amount of force that they could bring to bear is just yeah it would be terrifying <laughs> yeah terrifying absolutely you could absolutely have been a peasant two thousand years ago and like not realize that your state was at war with another <laughs> state because it wouldn't have yeah affected your life in any way shape or form sure worst case scenario some new guy shows up to collect some taxes and it's higher than last year you're like oh man why is this and they're like well you lost a war oh okay (laughs) (laughs) well please don't kill me (laughs) because i'm a peasant and you're a tax collector and this this is this is my life yeah 
please don't take it. <laughs> please don't take it all. But like a battle is like you go to a field and you you scope out a field that is going to be good for a battle and the, your, your enemy does the same and you send some envoys back and forth and it's like, the, okay, tomorrow at dawn, that's when we're going to go. And everybody lines up. Like it's the whole thing, right? Really? It's the whole production. And it's as much like a contest, like a very lethal contest uh, as it is like an actual attempt to like kill everybody. Hmm. Casualties tend to be fairly low, relatively speaking, in ancient warfare, because you don't win a battle by killing a lot of people. You win a battle by routing the other army, making them run away. So as soon as you get the other army to run away, you've won. And like maybe, yeah, you're going to take some swings at the stragglers. But like there's actually like a codified distance that you're allowed to chase them. Uh, After that, you got to like kind of let them go. Uh, And then the battlefield is yours. You're allowed to loot as much as you want from the uh, the opposing soldiers. You're allowed to bury your own dead. And then you're supposed to leave so that the other army can come and bury their dead. This all sounds very formal. It is very formal. And I mean, it's, it's you know, war is a tool of diplomacy. It's just a very extreme tool of diplomacy. And that's how it's being used here as well. I mean, yeah, you do have rampant violence for other reasons, you know, you know, killing to 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 eat, right? Like if you're if you're starving or or out of desperation, uh, piracy, all of that still exists. But actual like state sponsored warfare is a, a way of exerting political power, hmm. and war is always that, always has been, always will be, and of course there's always going to be violence outside of that as well. And you know that doesn't make war like necessarily a good thing. But that's why, because if you think about it a little bit, thinking about killing in war being different than killing in any other circumstance is absolutely a thing that happens yeah. but it doesn't really make yeah. that much sense if you kind of sit down and think about like why like yeah, that it's absolutely make any sense. like the exact same thing it seems but like you the have exact to same thing. trick yourself into thinking it's not right so you can do it and the reason that there is a distinction there is because it's state sponsored for the purposes of political means mm-hmm. or, for, or for political gains i should say and that's considered very different in terms of your your motivation in terms of your in terms of permission given to do these things, right? And a lot of that comes from war being, you know, at least relatively speaking, low in casualties. Mostly you got two lines of guys pushing against each other and looking for a way either through or around the other line. It's interesting to think of, like, the whole point of it. At, like, it's a completely different, quote-unquote, game at that point, right? Sure. Because if the, if the goal is no longer to eliminate all of the other soldiers, but to... yeah put them in a situation where they have to run away. Yep. The way you go about conducting that two lines of guys pushing against each other, mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. And I mean, there's still lots of killing. Lots of people die. Uh, if you get into things like siege warfare, like taking a city, that's always brutal. I've said that before on this show. I will continue <laughs> to say it. Siege warfare and the sacking of a city is probably the absolute worst thing that uh, a large group of people will do to another large group of people. It is, um, I don't know. Something happens to soldiers sacking a city that they, any any sort of moral judgments just switch off and horrible, horrible things happen. Not sound pleasant. And uh, yeah, that, that still absolutely happened. I don't want to sanitize the idea of war. It's just that, you know, it, it was in comparison, lower in casualties. It was generally faster. You're talking about individual battles versus like months long engagements and yeah everyone kind of knew what was what but yeah if you if you lost one of these battles generally you'd be like okay well i lost the battle that's it the romans would be like well hang on i've got other soldiers back there we're gonna try this again 
<laughs> and whoever they were fighting would be like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Like it's it's over, and the Romans would be like, yeah, but it's not because I've got more. <laughs> it's like I can I can do it again. I can do it again. We can try this again. I I need a do over, <laughs> and that was, and that was different. That was very different than than a lot of the other powers, and that tenacity is is really what put them further ahead than a lot of the other regional powers in terms of military culture and uh, military strength because it was so important to them to win that you know they didn't want that do-over they wanted to win the first time yeah but they also wanted to have a deep enough military that they could win that second time as well so yeah they they grew as a regional power uh punic wars we, we got to the punic wars where they eventually had defeated the carthaginians and in doing so like they had to fight in you know as far west as uh as spain they were fighting in the north of africa and all of a sudden they stopped being like a peninsular power, just like an Italian power. And they moved to a Mediterranean power. Mm-hmm. And they kind of didn't stop growing after that. Rome in general seemed to do best when they had frontiers to push out. Uh, they seemed to do best when they were generating income by establishing client states, by sacking other powers, by receiving payments of, of tribute from defeated powers, by gaining influxes of both freemen and slaves from defeated powers, uh, that really drove the the uh, the Roman economy um, quite nicely. They weren't great at stuff like culture or like uh, production or like even some of the scientific stuff. Like if you were if you were a youth in Rome around around the year zero, and your parents wanted you to get an education, you would learn military stuff. And you would learn uh, political stuff. What are you taking in school this year? Uh, you know, military stuff, political stuff. Basically. No, same thing I took last year. Same thing I'll take for the next whatever years. Pretty much. Because, I mean, holding political office was considered at least as honorable as being uh, in a high military position. And those two things weren't exactly uh, separate. Often the the uh, leaders of the, the Roman Republic, the, uh, the consuls, were also... I said often, they always were, also leaders of the army. Interesting. Uh, now there was a, uh, a system put in place where there were always two consuls, and they actually switched between days who was uh, leader of like the supreme army, wow. which sometimes ran into some interesting situations. But basically, yeah, whoever whoever's turn it was that day was the one leading all of the troops in Rome. <laughs> you just imagine like a punch clock. It's like, oh, well, you'd get situations where consuls would be like trying to like delay or speed up uh, battles because they wanted to be the one <laughs> commanding when like the big victory. Happened. Yeah, it's like, no, this is going to be mine. No, yeah, man, your time's up. It's get kind of funny. Here. Yeah. So anyways, after the Punic Wars, they started growing like really rapidly. And that continued for a lot of their well, basically all of Roman history. They were they were growing uh, at some rate. There were times when it stagnated, but it was usually followed by some sort of spurt of growth essentially for the rest of the, uh, the Roman Republican Empire. So, gives us a bit of an idea of where the Romans are coming from on this one. What do we know about Britain at, let's say, about 100 BCE? What's going on over there? I don't know. I mean, I learned all this stuff in high school and then promptly forgot when any of it took place and even what order it took place in. Sure. <laughs> it was really fascinating, and I was like, well, that's why we're talking about well, this. I was, when, you, when you suggested this, I was like, oh, good. I totally need a refresher on this. It's been a long time since I looked, up, looked it up. Well, I love talking about Rome, but the problem is that 
you know, Roman history spans six centuries and yeah, the entire continent of Europe, <laughs> as well as a bunch of Africa and or North Africa anyways, and, and into Asia. So uh, that would take like a bunch of parts yeah. to cover. <laughs> Welcome to my 20,000 part series on the Roman Empire and the history of Rome. <laughs> Welcome to part 18. We're just getting to Caesar. <laughs> Um, so I, I figured, yeah, why, why don't we why don't we focus on Britain just as, as the one province, especially because it's not as well known. I mean, I think people know a little bit more anyways about sort of like the German frontier, some of the stuff that was happening there in terms of conflicts with the, the various Germanic tribes that were coming down and, and, and attacking the borders. Uh, I think people also know a little bit more about some of the stuff happening, happening in, in Asia in terms of like expansion into Turkey and yep. things like that. I also think people don't know a ton after, basically after Caesar Augustus. Yeah. I think people kind of blank after that. Like the cool stuff happens and then like, I don't know, a couple centuries go by and then Rome <laughs> falls. Like, Yeah, that's basically, if you asked me to describe it to someone, what I would say. Sure. And some great stuff happens in that in that time period. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more, I don't know. It's complicated and not always as clear cut who is who you're supposed to be cheering for. So... <laughs> So it's it's a little bit more difficult to go over, but yeah, I, I think I think looking at Britain kind of gives us both a, a picture of a really unique part of the empire, uh, gives us something to focus on, which is really important for this show. Yep, and gives us an idea of what like the lifespan of uh, a, an outer province of Rome is like over the course of the empire. Because while we're focusing on Britain, a lot of the same sort of general trends could also apply to somewhere like say Spain. Or, you know, northwestern uh, Germanic provinces or, you know, places like that where it's like kind of on the fringes of the Roman Empire. Sure. They went through a, a very similar so- uh, process to what Britain went through. So, Britain before the Romans get there. Celtic. That's who we're looking who we are looking at, the Celtic people. And Celtic is a really broad umbrella term that applied to most of the people living in northern germany uh northern france belgium the netherlands all of that sort of entire northern section of europe as well as uh as the british isles and what you'll notice right away is that that's probably too broad a term to apply to that many people yeah so what i want you to do when we're going through this is think about the way that american historians in the past up until even the last few decades talked about native americans because what you're going to get is a very similar sort of situation we're going to get an enormous group of people who are not they're, they're not literate on their own like they don't have writing of their own i mean they, yeah, there's there's some runic stuff but like not not literate on like a day-to-day sort of way um not literate in terms of like having a, a historical tradition so in that way, can't really tell their own story. So we've got a large group of people who are only being described by Others. people who are their enemies and then conquerors yeah, who don't entirely understand their culture, who constantly conflate various tribes and social groups within that structure as being the exact same people. Uh, we're going to run into various tribes who we don't even know their real name because the only name we have for them is the one given to them by the Romans or even another Celtic tribe. 
there's a lot of very strong similarities to our understanding of the Native Americans up until, as I said, we, we're getting better at it, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah. So, so you're going to get a lot of that when we when we go over these people. Sounds but good. yeah, you have smaller social groups. They are what we would call Iron Age in terms of their technological uh, level, which isn't much behind what the Romans are going to have at this point in time, but they are uh, less advanced than the Romans, uh, technologically speaking. Mm-hmm. The Celtic languages, uh, there are actually still some existing Celtic languages today, uh, including uh, Welsh, Cornish, which is kind of making a bit of a comeback these days, Gaelic, Irish, those are all Celtic languages. They're descendants of what these people would have been speaking at that point in time. I'm familiar with these. Irish heritage. Nice. Represent. They did have contact with the continent. There was a little bit of trade across the across the English Channel. Specifically, even as much as 400 years BCE, they were trading tin to the uh, to the Greeks. However, there's also this really interesting thing where a lot of people didn't believe that the British Isles existed. <laughs> they, they thought it was this sort of like mythical fairyland that like nothing was actually over there. Yeah. Even though in reality, it's not that far. It's really not. English Channel's not that big. It's not that big, but it's big enough that, you know, someone with Iron Age technology is not maybe going to take the chance to sail across if they don't know for sure. Yeah. That's a big ask. So, yeah, there were a lot of people who didn't believe in Britain, (laughs) which is kind of weird. But, you know, based on the way that people didn't believe in the New World either, it's a thing that people do. Yep. It's just, just how it be. Show it to me or else it doesn't exist. And yeah, I mean, we don't know a lot about the... Uh, the culture there, historically speaking, at least, we know a little bit more because of sort of the the archaeological record. But even then, like a lot of the information that we have is based either on the Gauls, who are the Celtic people who lived in France uh, and northern Germany. And even then, that's based on observations by outsiders. The, the people living in Britain are a little bit more of a mystery for us. Let's jump straight over to everyone's favorite dictator, Julius Caesar. Yeah, We're going to start with him. Because that's really where the story of, of the, the intersection between Britain and, and Rome starts. In 58 BCE, Caesar invades Gaul <laughs> over personal political reasons. Um, he was a politician, but he had spent so much money on getting elected. He did not come from a fairly wealthy family. He spent so much money. He owed so many people so much money that he go, was in horrible debt. He had to go make some scratch. Well, to the point that he was actually legally liable for the amount of debt that he was carrying. Wow. But the thing is, when you're consul, you or or when you hold any higher political office, you're actually exempt from 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 the law. Basically, you can't be charged with anything sure. in the Roman Republic. So handy. <laughs> he realizes that he really needs to get reelected. Yeah. So one of the best ways to do this in a very martial society who's obsessed with military victories and with expansion. Ah, I see. Is, hey, those those gulls have been getting uppity lately. I'm going to go take care of them. And he takes, uh, he takes a bunch of legions and he marches north and goes to war with the gulls. We're not sure how much the gulls were really being uppity. It seems like <laughs> Caesar just needed to take care of a problem. It's like, hey, honest. guys, look, I'm effective. Please reelect me so I don't have to pay off my debts. <laughs> and I mean, he was also looking to loot a whole bunch to help yeah. pay down those debts. And he couldn't be reelected to the position that he was in. And there were no governorships open in any other provinces. So he's looking to make a new province so that he could be <laughs> governor of it. <laughs> just attacking these people solves so many of his problems. Various different ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate for the Gauls. No kidding. 
He found out during his campaigns that the Britons, uh, B-R-I-T-O-N-S, that's the, the people living on the British Isles, it sounds the exact same, so it gets a little confusing. But he found out that the Britons were helping out one of the one of the Gaelic tribes, or sorry, one of the Gallic tribes. I can never remember. I'll check that out. Gaulish. We'll find that out and put it in the notes. <laughs> he was helping one of the tribes of Gauls uh, called the Belge, uh, B E L G A E, which is where the Belgium, Belgium is going to come from. Yep. Uh, they were helping them out militarily and financially, and he went, "Oh, oh, they they can't do that." I'm not happy with this at all. <laughs> this is ruining all of my plans. And he finds out that, like where they're coming from. They're, they're coming from this supposedly mythical place. And he's like, you know what would look really good for me, Caesar, who's trying to look really good right now? I'm going to go invade Britain. Yeah, find and conquer this mythical island. Here's another really set of islands. Here's a really another really interesting thing about Rome as a society. They were real bad with boats. Really? Yeah, they hated boats. They really didn't like boats. They were very good on land. Like, their did, military, their infantry was second to none. It was amazing. Did they take the long way around to Tunisia? Nope, they hired out boats. Actually, they, they lost thousands of men during the crossings during the Punic Wars. Wow. There were a couple of horrible disasters with troop transports. Brutal. Yeah, they weren't good boat makers. Hmm. Which is weird for someone who lives on a peninsula into the Mediterranean exactly. Sea. Exactly. The only reason I'm surviving in Backstabber right now is because I have a decent fleet. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that Italy would eventually learn to build for itself. <laughs> I think but they'd have to. <laughs> under the Roman Republic, which is where we are now, not good with boats. Hmm. Yeah, it's really weird. So how do, they, how do they handle that one? Well, they hired out a whole bunch of boats to cross over. With what money? Well, The state's money, I suppose? Yeah, it, it, he, he, he was a military leader. He was a general. He was... I mean, one thing that the, the Roman military would do is hire out mercenaries. It was well within his his rights as a military commander to hire military um, equipment. That's that's not anything out of the ordinary. So he hired a bunch of boats, some of them transport, some of them warships to take them across. Uh, he was originally going to land at Dover, which is really where like the closest crossing is. Quick question. Mm-hmm. From who did he hire these boats? There were enough fishing villages on the north coast of gaul really and again because this whole social situation within gaul is so complicated there are also tribes that are friendly to him that have helped him throughout the throughout his campaigns mm-hmm. even against other against other tribes which should tell you you know how complicated that whole situation yeah, does not is, sound but exactly like nice. something you want to dip your toes into no he's going to conquer all of them they're all bad right <laughs> sure um and yeah, they, they knew how to make boats. He hired the boats from them and sails across. He was going to land at Dover, like, you know, like the White Cliffs of Dover. You've probably seen pictures. Yep. He got there and he saw that there were a whole bunch of Britons hanging out on top of the cliffs. And he decided not to land there because he was afraid they were going to rain javelins on all of his men. Sure. Which was probably true. Fairly likely. <laughs> <laughs> so he lands at a place called Walmer, which is a few miles down the, the coast. Uh, he's got two legions with him. Now, a legion is one of those things that is supposed to be a thousand men, but like the actual numbers can vary quite a bit. But it gives us a little bit of an idea of what he's working with here, right? How many boats are we talking here then? Uh, like 80 troop transports and like a whole bunch of warships. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So he lands there, but like he took so long to like move down, like to decide like not to land at Dover because he hung out there trying to decide what to do for a while. And then he sailed down the coast. That there were all of these British, or all of these Britons waiting for them. 
and the coast there is very rocky and it's kind of steep and so they couldn't really get in close enough to like land the boats properly so they had troops that were basically like jumping off into the water into like waist deep water to try and like get up on the coast sure and the britons were just like hailing javelins on them they were coming out into the water to fight them brutal like it was just it was a it was a slog it was really bad they had some support from the warships they had like catapults on the ships which is kind of cool but like really not helpful in this situation yes because it's so one-on-one right yeah exactly Um, they eventually like got a little bit of like area on the beach and pushed the british or the britain troops back roman legionaries fighting any Gallic, Gaulish? I'm going to have to find out that word at some point. Any Gauls at this point is just, it's so asymmetrical. And it's same same goes for fighting the Britons. The, the Romans were highly trained. They were very good at fighting as a unit. Whereas the Gauls were somewhat more one-on-one oriented. Like they weren't good at forming a line. That wasn't part of their training. That wasn't part of their military doctrine. Sure. And so... A small number of legions was fairly effective against these people. They managed to push in. They were really worried about their boats actually getting home. Because number one, they're already uneasy about boats. Yeah. Number two, this is the English Channel, not the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean has almost no tides. Uh, And the waves are relatively, you know, they're not that big a deal. The English Channel is full on Atlantic. There's a real tide. There are huge waves. And they're watching their boats just like crash against each other in these waves. And they're like slightly "Eh." terrifying. Yep. So they met with a couple of like, you know, local military leaders quickly, demanded tribute, demanded hostages. (laughs) They said no. (laughs) There were were two tribes that offered hostages. So they got two hostages out of this entire expedition. And then they immediately left. What's the point of taking hostages? To prove that you were there. To prove that you intimidated them into submission. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, he got a 20-day holiday out of this. Yeah, what What is the fate of a hostage taken this way? Uh, they'd hold him for ransom, basically. It's it's more of a symbolic thing. Like, yeah. he'll be ke- kept as prisoner, likely indefinitely. Great. Yeah. Not exactly something you want to happen to you, then. He wouldn't be treated badly. He just sure. wouldn't be near anyone that spoke his own language. Or, you know, like, there's... Or free. Yeah, or free. That, too. I mean, it... He's not being executed, I guess, is the best thing I can say for it. Yeah, but he was treated like a human being, which is better than you could say for some of the people that were captured in battle. Exactly. These were political hostages, not not military ones. Sure. So yeah, he got he got a full twenty day holiday out of this when word reached Rome. They're like, oh, we we conquered Britain. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Twenty day holiday. (laughs) Caesar tries again the next year. He brings five legions this time he commissioned some specially designed boats to like actually like pull up on the beaches and this time he's a lot more successful he yeah, that, that first one was just a scouting party well, exactly easy exactly and he still managed to get two hostages come on what yeah, do you want from him this guy's amazing what are you talking about give him a break yeah and and he left someone behind to ensure supply lines from the continent like at a port on uh northwestern uh france basically it would be now and uh like a whole bunch of his ships got smashed up he spent 10 days bringing them up on the on the uh the beach repairing them fortifying them to make sure that nobody was gonna like burn them while they were there (laughs) because like they're really worried about getting home well i mean it's pretty far it's 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 far enough especially when you're terrified of water and probably get across like half of europe and then some water which they already don't like (laughs) it's they're real skittish about it 
and yeah, they 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 send out a bunch of scouting parties to figure out what's going on like locally, like what local wars can they exploit because that's how Caesar do. Makes sense. Absolutely. And he finds out that there was a tribe that had been kind of the main tribe in sort of the southwest or southeastern end of um Britain. So, you know, against the coast. Mm-hmm. They were called the Trinovantes by the Romans. I have no idea if that's the that's really Roman sounding. I was going to say that name. sounds real Roman. I'm pretty sure it was not their name. But the leader of the Trinovantes had just been assassinated by uh, this other warlord named uh, uh, Cassivellaunus. And basically his tribe on its own was making a go against like all the other tribes in Britain, making a huge push for power. And Caesar learned of this and decided, okay, I'm going to take down Cassivellaunus and show them what's what with the Roman army. So he finds the uh, the son of the former king of the uh, Trinovantes. This is a guy named uh, Mandelbrockus. And he finds him and he's like, you, you and me, we're going to go beat this guy and we're going to make you king. But you got to do me a solid if that happens. We're going to be bros from now on. And this guy's like, okay, well, I'm probably going to die. So yeah, let's yeah, do it's like, it. Yeah, I totally want to be a king. That sounds way better than death. <laughs> that sounds super good compared to what I'm dealing with right now. It's just like, Hey, uh, I will give you an entire country and then you got to like be my friend. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, so the two of them team up. They defeat uh, Cassivellaunus. Mandelbrockus is restored to the throne. They set up like an annual tribute. Like he has to make payments once a year as, you know, as thanks. Uh, he has to give up, you know, some political hostages to show his goodwill. You know, it's, uh, they'll, they'll, be, they'll be treated well in Rome, we promise. <laughs> and... Sorry, these these hostages. I I should have mentioned these hostages are coming from Cassivellaunus's tribe, not not from Mandelbrockus. Yeah, so um, really not really it's not a hard choice for uh, Mandelbrockus to make here. Yeah, he's fine with it. And like, yeah, okay, take more, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Cassivellaunus has to make a promise, like never to attack the Trinovantes again, on penalty of Caesar himself coming back to ransom what pass on him. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. And sign here uh-huh. and initial here. And sign here. And he made that <laughs> promise. So, you know, it's all good. And uh, just about then, uh, Caesar finds out that there's some further unrest in Gaul. And so he calls it all a success. He leaves the island and he never comes back. <laughs> Britain. Checkmark. Conquered. And so, yeah, it opens up some trade between the island and the continent. More trade than there was before. But that's the last that the Romans are going to go to the island for uh, about a hundred years. So here's a question. How, if, if so many people didn't even believe that Britain was there, how did people get on the island? Do we have any theories on that one? Sorry. How, how did people get on the island? Like the, the Celts originally? Yeah. People have a funny way of migrating places without really any record of how they got there. I mean, it's not that far. Like the, the English channel isn't that wide. It's wide as pointed. 26 miles or something like that sure which is enough but compared to well i mean think about the movement across uh indonesia with the well I, I i'm mean, familiar i'm unfamiliar with it well the aboriginal people in australia got there via boat not you know because of you know continental shift or something sure so they would travel hundreds of miles between islands on fairly primitive boats 26 miles is not that big a deal the other thing to remember is that People living on the coast are going to be a lot more comfortable with sailing. Sure. And a lot more familiar with doing it safely. 
there's always going to be the element of chance where somebody who is going further and further out to find better and better fishing, for example, manages to catch sight of land, and now he knows where it is. Yeah. There's lots it's of just probability over time. Yeah. Someone's eventually going to get there. Basically. Yeah. If, if you give it tens of thousands of years, sooner or later, somebody's going to get somewhere. It Makes just kind of happens. So uh, since the Romans are going to take a break, I think we're going to take a break here as well. And cool. uh, once we're done, we're going to talk about the uh, second Roman conquest of Britain. Cool. Hey, everyone. Just a reminder that there are a number of ways that you can get in contact with me if you'd like to do so. Um, there is an email address, contact at hi101.ca. We have a Twitter account at hi101podcast, a Facebook page, facebook.com slash hi101podcast. And of course, there are comment sections on every single episode on the website, hi101.ca. So not just the corrections that I talk about at the end of the show, but if you want to get a hold of me for any reason, just to say hi, to tell me what you like about the show, what you don't like, any of that stuff, I would really love to hear from you. So you can use any of those methods anytime you want. Thanks. All right, we're back on HI101 here with Phil Downey. Hey. And um, last we were talking about was Caesar leaving the leaving the island and never to return. <laughs> Taking a break. A permanent yeah, well, break. He kind of like, he kind of got murdered. A little bit. Yeah, it's odd how that'll put a damper on your plans. <laughs> Maybe you heard of it. <laughs> um, they made uh, some sort of work of fiction. It might have been like a poem or a, a, a live action comedy sketch. Um, some 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 famous guy, Billy, Billy something. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, anyways, he got murdered. That turned the whole thing got upside murdered. down. He did. He was assassinated. <laughs> yeah, he was. He totally got murdered. Ah, it was a bad way to go too. A whole bunch of guys stabbed him. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I think they, I, I think I remember reading that they found that only one of the knife wounds would have actually been fatal on its own. Wow. Yeah. I mean, sure, but you get stabbed a lot. It doesn't matter if not all of them would have been <laughs> it's fatal. Also, it's also like uh, I think it was forty-seven BCE when this happened. Yeah, modern <laughs> medicines not around okay yeah yeah you get stabbed once you might be in trouble even if it's like just in the arm yeah so anyways this put everyone in a real awkward position because he had no legitimate children may have had a uh an illegitimate child with cleopatra but he never acknowledged him so not good enough Mm -hmm. in kind of a what you could call jerk move he named his grand nephew his heir in his will without actually telling anybody before he died so they all found out after he was dead trying to figure out like how to run the entire empire yeah because it was no longer a republic anymore really it was kind of on the edge it could have gone back to a republic at this point but his his nephew who would be caesar augustus which i think is my favorite caesar name augustus just sounds awesome yeah it's it's a it's a pretty good one nero's good too nero's all right but Augustus, it's just got like this weight behind it. Sure. And I mean, interestingly enough, a lot of that is because of him. Yeah, I know. As much <laughs> as anything else. But yeah, you might have so- heard of this uh, month. It comes after July and it's before <laughs> September. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, yeah, he, he, he was technically the new ruler, but, you know, he was 
relatively young, had not that much political experience. A lot of people claimed that the will had been forged. A lot of people just didn't care and wanted to take power for themselves. Rome falls into this huge civil war. How many times have I been on this show? And how many times? This is the fourth time. I think literally every time we talk about succession and how much of a pain in the ass it is. It's always a pain in the ass. Such a pain in the ass. And it's always interesting. Yeah. Right. So, so basically the way it falls out is Caesar Augustus versus Mark Antony, Mm -hmm. who, by the way, teams up with Cleopatra partially because of the fact that her son is the illegitimate child of Julius Caesar. And he's hoping to use that. Man, that Billy guy, he did something about this too. (laughs) It was a sequel. Um, (laughs) The first one sold real well. (laughs) Those live action comedy skits. (laughs) So anyways, there's this huge civil war and eventually Caesar Augustus comes out on top spoilers and he's actually one of the most stable Roman emperors there's ever going to be. He reigns for a very, very, very long time. I'll, I'll double check this, but I think the number is 62 years. Just a long time. Part of the benefit of being around for that long is that you can uh, do some long-term planning, which is really good for the empire as a whole. Sure. It also allows him to make a lot of political reforms, which basically end the Republic and begin the empire. He never would have called himself an emperor, but uh, the way he styled himself was the uh, the first citizen. Interesting. Like the first among many kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I get it. And, and uh, you know, did some terrible stuff overall. Pretty good emperor. He's, he's actually up there as one of the better ones. He had plans a couple of times to invade Britain again. See what was going on over there. Maybe <laughs> exert a little bit more control. Go stop by, collect some more taxes. Yeah, but every time he did, or he was planning to, he, he made three separate plans to go over there. Every time he planned to, it just didn't quite work out. Something else came up somewhere else in the empire that was more important. Makes I sense. mean, just because the civil war was over didn't mean that he didn't still have his enemies. Lest we forget Britain is on the fringe of the quote-unquote empire yeah and what's more it's a very solid border between the continent and the island it's really difficult to actually move troops back and forth are they still paying their dues Uh, it's kind of iffy i'm not sure probably not they've probably stopped by that point because that guy's got to be dead by now oh he's totally dead and what's more by the time they get back the the trinovantes are no longer the the main uh tribe in that region of surprising nobody yeah they've been they've been defeated It'll actually be a, a tribe called the uh, the Ketuvalani. But we're, we're getting Super easy little... names to remember here. Yeah, I know. You get used to them after a little while. <laughs> they start they start kind of making sense as a, as a whole thing and not just a mess of sounds after a bit. <laughs> <laughs> a mess of sounds. It is a bit of a hurdle. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, you, well, you, you're, you're right. That's exactly how I would describe it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah. During... during augustus's reign they never get back to britain (laughs) the closest they got after that was in 40 ce when caligula do you know anything about caligula Uh, i should the name means little boots that wasn't actually his his name it was his nickname from when he was a child i i know i know of him yeah i he's the one that went crazy about a year into his reign yeah like Like, i i associate horse to his senate he uh, did what appointed a horse oh yeah oh okay and like there are still arguments to this day over whether he was actually like legit mentally ill or whether or whether he was just 
maybe messing with people <laughs> because he was the emperor and he could. Sure. Which is also a distinct possibility. Like, and, and I mean, telling the difference is nearly impossible. Exactly. Because a lot of the stuff that he did that seems insane is also like really trolly. <laughs> it is. Well, like, what do you mean? It's a, it would be a troll move to appoint a horse to the Senate? Well, so he ordered, he, he decided that uh, Britain hadn't paid its uh, its um, tribute in a while because of, you know, how they stopped during the Civil War and nobody sure. enforced it in any way. So he, is, he sent a whole bunch of legions up to the channel, made them stop at the channel, attack the water <laughs> because he was angry at the water. Which is actually not an unprecedented move. This also happened during the Persian War. What? Where, yeah, the, the, uh, where the Persian emperor attacked the channel for being too unruly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing that people do sometimes. Did, did the soldiers actually do it? Yeah, the emperor told them they had to. And then he made them collect seashells as payment. So, like, it, I'm just trying to picture this. Are they, like, half-heartedly, like, jabbing at it? Or do you think they're, like, full-on, like, die, channel, die? Do you want to be the guy who's not... Not giving it his all. Because <laughs> I don't. Because this guy appointed a horse to his Senate. <laughs> he could do anything. Uh, stuff like that. I mean, there's... Chances are that Legion had been acting up lately, and this was more of a punishment than anything. Sure. But we don't know. He might have yeah. been crazy. He would also do things like... I, I mean, not all of it was this, like, like impish, lighthearted stuff. Like, he would do things like... Um, uh, if he had, like, a, a governor who was acting up... He would have a bunch of people to dinner, including this governor and his wife. And then he would order his wife into his bedroom with them while they were having dinner. Yeah. Some of it was pretty skeezy, but like all of it's like this really like on the edge, like maybe insane. Maybe Maybe like he's just with everybody. Pardon my French. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Nobody really knows. So we don't actually get back to Britain until 43, 43 CE under uh, the Emperor Claudius, who decides, you know what, we should really get back to that whole, you know, getting tribute from these guys. We did, uh, you know, defeat them after all. This should be Roman territory. Why aren't we defending our own territory? And these guys are all Caesars, right? Is it the title? Well, Caesar isn't quite being used as a title yet because the Julii, the the, the uh, family that the first uh, emperors come from, have, hasn't actually died out yet it dies out fairly early on actually in the empire but these guys are still all julii Mm. um family names work kind of strangely in in roman history like uh, caesar like julius caesar is actually gaius julius caesar yeah with gaius being his personal name julius being our kind of translation like the singular conjugation of his family name julii Mm -hmm. and then caesar being what's known as a cognomen which is kind of like a nickname except one that's like like official and it's for the at that point it was for the individual yeah that was his name okay and even that it, there's there's debate over whether or where it comes from it might have just been an old name uh might have been um something to do with his hairstyle caesar means cut or, okay or, or it comes from the word to cut uh it may have actually been that he was born by caesarian section fair we're not sure there's there, you'll find You'll find a billion versions of all three of these and more if you go digging for it. Sure. Anyways, these guys are still Julii, so Caesar is still, and it would be Kaiser in in um, yep. in uh, Latin. Um, that's still like a name, and yeah, they would give it to people, but it wouldn't be considered like a title. Not yet. 
the the title that they'd be getting would be princip, which is first, like first citizen. Yeah. So is is Caesar something they adopted after the fact, after the Julii died out to like give some legitimacy to it? Yeah, it turned into more of a title and less of a name. Yeah. Uh, same thing would happen with Augustus, which was always more of a title. Um, Augustus means you know the same thing as August in 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 English, which is uh, you know not a terribly common word, but kind of like regal and stately. Yeah, they were just calling him you know the Great, basically. Yeah, but it it stuck as part of his name. So these things would become titles later on when people would actually start calling themselves emperor and things like that. Sure, that's not quite how they're rolling at this point. In fact, it's you know the transition from republic to empire is kind of hazy yeah it's still um, in progress yeah yeah and and it's really hard to point to the moment where it's like yeah that's where it happens and probably the easiest place to point to is the beginning of caesar augustus's rule mm-hmm. but even that's a matter of convenience there are almost no roman empire emperors who would have called themselves emperor mm. so anyways claudius decides to go check out what's going on with britain they sent a lot more troops this time and they also are against people who remember what happened last time they resisted. So they have a lot less trouble getting onto the island. Yeah. What's more, the people that are on the coast are actually more friendly to the Romans just because of the trade networks that have been set up over the years. Sure. So, I mean, people who are on the north coast of France and the south coast of Britain get along fairly well. I mean, they, they kind of have to for their livelihoods. Yeah. And so it's not as much of a slog this time. What, um, uh, what year are we at right now? This is 43 CE. Okay. And these troops are, you know, Claudius doesn't go on, go on his own, but the commander of the of the uh, expedition is a guy named Vespasian, who's actually going to be emperor down the road. Okay. And this is another theme you'll see with, with Britain. It's almost kind of like a testing ground for future political and military leaders. There's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, it's not as dangerous, or it doesn't seem as dangerous as the German borders, because if something goes really wrong and you're defeated in Britain, like, what are they going to do? They're going to kick you off the island, and that's about as far as they're going to come. Yeah. If you do the same on the German border... Yeah, they're coming for you. They're, yeah, they, they've, got, they've got a lot of open land that they can cover to come straight for Rome. So that's a much bigger mistake than it is to make a mistake in Britain. The other thing is... Britain never quite settles down, so there's always something to do there to kind of like test your skills. Yeah. So it's a good balance to kind of test people's metal. So anyway, they they go onto the island. They, you know, find some tribes that they're very happy with. They find others that they're not quite as happy with how Roman they are. They feel like they should be more Roman. And basically, they, they start making uh, an awful lot of dec- decrees about how people should be living their lives. And... The thing to remember about this is that a lot of people are kind of okay with it because like, yeah, the Romans are coming and yeah, they're exerting their way of life over people, but you know, they're also founding the city of London and that becomes a major economic center, which is a lot easier than trying to like, you know, take your goods all over the place. You can take it to one place where there's a common market. It's a lot easier to make a living. There's some benefits to their meddling. They start making roads, which makes everything easier. Yeah. Like everything. They start creating aqueducts to move clean water around. Hey, that sounds like a cool idea. Listen, do you want to go drink some poop water from the stream (laughs) or do you want nice clean aqueduct water? (laughs) Choose now, Phil. Which one do you want? Uh, uh, Poop water. (laughs) (laughs) It's I don't not, know. You put me on the spot. <laughs> it's not that hard a choice, right? Like it's so. That's the funny thing about the Romans coming in is that, like, really, 
the level of resistance, at least among a lot of the tribes, and especially the ones who have an economic stake in yeah. Roman contact, yeah. are actually fairly friendly to the idea. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you want to come clean up my place? All right. Pretty much. And, I mean, along with it comes, you know, law and order that's being imposed by the Roman troops, which, again, great. Crime went down. Yeah. You've made my life so much easier. Thanks, Here's Romans. some money. <laughs> have you ever seen uh, Have you ever seen The Life of Brian? I have. Do you remember a scene in The Life of Brian where the resistance fighters are yelling out, what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what have the Romans ever done for us? And then someone else like on the resistance side will be like, well, there are the roads. Okay, but like, what have they done for us besides the roads? I don't know, law and order. <laughs> okay, well, the law and order is nice, but what about, you know, and it just, it keeps, just keeps going, going on. on. They, they keep adding yeah. things that the Romans have done for them. That's funny. It's, it's that a again. great scene. It's it's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, that movie is incredible. But it's been a while since I've seen any Monty Python. I should watch it again. Yeah, that, that one's, yeah, that one's just so clever. It's so very, very clever. And, and interestingly, is very smart about the relationship between Romans and their subjects. Cool. Um, you know, all those guys came from very prestigious schools. They knew what they were talking about with the classics. Yeah. They were relatively accurate. Nice. Funny, but but accurate. Yeah, you can... It's always possible to weave humor into edu- education. Yeah, absolutely. vice versa. I was going to say that one's definitely the other way around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, for sure. They do enough Romanizing of the island that by 47 CE, so only four years later, they've actually appointed an official governor to britain and what that means is that they've made britain uh, an official province of the roman empire which is a big deal like they don't add provinces every day that means that it's become romanized enough that they can consider they can start considering certain members of that society roman citizens yeah so they've consolidated their power there too Mm -hmm. they're going to keep spending like the the 50s pushing further north into england literally the 50s literally the 50s the years 50 through (laughs) 50 for modern context they're going to push north into england they're going to push uh west into wales wales has always had quite the independent streak to it and that was absolutely true during the initial conquest by the romans the the welsh tended to to hold out a little bit longer so i mean some of these tribes are welcoming welcoming them with open arms others are fighting against them and they basically have to defeat them in battle before they can convince them to Romanize. Are they making any efforts on the island of Ireland? You know, I didn't find a whole lot about them being on Ireland. They seem to kind of leave it alone. Ireland is smaller. Yeah. It's a little bit further away. Like, just a little bit. You gotta sail much. again. So they end up having, like, little outposts, outposts along the coast. But for the most part, Ireland is kind of left alone a little bit. I actually kind of ran out of time doing uh, research to figure out why they didn't go to Ireland, which is a big question. And I, I, I should have found the answer, but I, I it's, it's weird. They just don't talk about Ireland hmm. for some reason. It's very strange. Maybe they, they knew it was there. I assume I, I, they would, they would almost have to, Yeah. but yeah, there, there was, well, yeah, I mean, they had, they had the small exactly. coastal outposts, but yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't make more, more of a push. I can speculate on that. I think it probably has more to do with the fact that they never took the entire Eastern Isle. Mm. You know, they, they had enough they to do there. probably wanted to lock that down before they went over west. But again, that's speculation on my part. I don't know for sure. So they spent the rest of the 50s, you know, Romanizing, having a good time, setting up 
you know, villas or whatever it is that Romans do. <laughs> Doing Roman things. Doing Roman things. Being Walls, like a Roman roads, do. Aqueducts. <laughs> Law and order. <laughs> Lead pipes. You know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Lots of coins. Lots of coins. Roman coins everywhere at this point. Yeah. They they did love their coins. And it's so helpful, by the way, for the archaeological record, because coins are the kind of thing that people drop on the ground and don't care about quite enough to pick up and are still <laughs> distinctive enough that they can tell you a lot about when they were dropped and where they were dropped and by whom. Nice. Because it tells you how wealthy the person was that dropped it based on like whether or not they cared to pick it up. It tells you exactly when the coin was minted because Roman coins were very, very clear about stuff like that. They would have multiple runs per year. Hmm. And, um, you know, if you find a Roman coin somewhere, that means that at least some Roman economic influence has reached that point. So what you'll see is actually heat maps of where Roman coins have been found on the British Isle. That's crazy. They give you kind of a pretty good idea of where their economic influence has reached on the island. And it's quite a bit of it. Those just like, can you just find those online? Yeah, yeah. Huh. I've seen them in a number of places. You... It's it's literally just mapping, like putting dots yeah, where coins I have been found. Know what a heat map is? <laughs> I think it's, it, well, I'm I'm just saying it's not it's not that hard to put together. Yeah, right? but it, it's visually very very useful in terms of just kind of conceptualizing how much day to day influence they had on there. Because I mean, a, a, an occupying force is one thing. People actively participating in that society in that economy is is a completely different thing. Very cool. So things are going great. They they love how all of this Romanizing is going until until you get to the year 60. When there's this little there's this little ki- uh, kingdom. Uh the people are called the uh Iceni, I C E N I. And a, a a king dies, Prostigus dies, and he decides that in his will, he's going to leave half the kingdom to his wife and daughters and half the kingdom to the emperor. And this isn't an uncommon thing. What he's doing is he's trying to buy the independence of his family and his kingdom by giving half of it to the emperor. According to Roman law, is he allowed to do such a thing? Yeah, absolutely. You can leave whatever you want in a a will. Including Roman property? He wasn't Romanized yet. Mm. He's in a portion of, uh, of Britain that's sort of, uh, it's 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 further north and it's on the east coast. There's kind of a, a little a little it's not even a peninsula, but it kind of juts out a little bit. Sure. He's kind of in that last little corner. Yeah. Um that if you came further in west, you could head up to to Scotland, but you know, where he is on the isle, he's about as far north as you can go into England. So they hadn't quite gotten to him yet and he was hoping to buy them a little more time. He didn't really like the idea of romanization he was a little bit more independent spirited and yeah he was hoping that if he just like gave them some of the land they would just leave the rest of it alone because other places when they were feeling this independently spirited they would tend to kind of get a little bit of a visit from vespasian (laughs) and then they would be all romanized so what prostigus did wasn't unusual that wasn't unusual at all what the romans did was in that they decided not to honor the will to the letter but decided to take over the entire kingdom any reason why they felt like it greed arrogance yeah i mean there isn't a good reason for this there's there's no good reason that you can really offer so they annexed the entire kingdom had prostigus's wife uh flogged they raped his daughters um they 
forced, well, forced, they just did this. They, they didn't even make anyone do anything. Uh, they took out loans from Roman loan or debt collectors uh, to pay the tribute that they hadn't already paid to the Romans that they felt that they were owed and then called the debts immediately, meaning that they had no time to pay it off. They needed yeah. to pay it off immediately. So effectively both annexing and bankrupting this entire tribe in one move. Brutal. Prosticus's wife was named Boudica. She was... I've heard of this one. She was a firecracker. Mm-hmm. Lesser people might have just faded into history. We probably wouldn't have been even talking about this. Yep. Not Boudica. She was mad. She was so mad. And with fantastic reason. Remember the Trinovantes, who are no longer the major tribes? Yes. Yep. They were still pretty big. Mm-hmm. Boudica waits until the Romans have left, goes, gets as many fighting men as she can from her own tribe, goes to the Trinovantes, recruits as many of them as, as she can, and says, listen, this is outrageous. We need to stop these people before they take everything from us. She manages to recruit over 100,000 fighting men. Wow. So as great as things have been going for the Romans, clearly they hadn't been doing as great a job uh, ingratiating themselves with the locals yeah, as they not thought so they much. had been. Clearly there was a little bit of At resentment going on. About 100,000 of them. And I mean, the population of the island at this point is, I mean, between one and four million. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good chunk. That's a significant percentage. That's a good chunk. They wait until the governor of Britain, because remember it was, it had just been made uh, a province or, or more correctly, Britannia yeah. uh, had just been made a province. They waited until the governor Suetonius was campaigning against, he actually sailed out to an island. It was called uh, Mona and it was actually the last Druid holdout really? uh, in Britain, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I wish I knew more about that story. I don't, there's very little information on the Druids on Celtic religion and culture, just because like I said, they weren't, really writing this stuff down it was a it was a a verbal tradition sure an oral tradition but anyway yeah the fact that he had to like sail against a druid st- stronghold sounds like super cool yes i want to know more about that i really do it's probably boring but like the mystery probably, of it, but it sounds cool the history of it <laughs> makes it so enticing so they wait until suetonius is off the the main island of britannia and the first thing they do is destroy a city called Camulogenum. It's now called Colchester. I don't know it by its new name either. I'm sure some people do. Never heard of it. They just destroy the place. They go down to Londinium, London. Yep. They burn that place so badly that essentially it was back to the ground. Wow. They also uh, destroy a city called uh, Verulamium, uh, which is now St. Albans. Yeah, they killed between seventy and 80,000 men. Almost as many as they have. Yeah. And I mean, these are going to be Romans and Roman supporters alike. They did not discriminate. This was not about dispelling the Romans, the, the force, the people, the, the, the ethnically Roman. This yeah. was about expelling the culture. Yeah, just getting it off of our island. In any way possible. And it was very, like, systemically destroyed. Like, it was very, like, cold, calculated, careful. This wasn't... Uh, as much as it would be portrayed that way by the Romans, it wasn't really an angry mob. It was a, a very formidable military force. They they did. Uh, I, I was reading about a uh, an archaeological dig that they did on London, on like early London. Yeah. And around this time, 
more than 90% of the sites they found were charred, had been burned. Wow. In the city. 90% of the sites they could find in the city. So it's not like they're just like lazily throwing torches at buildings as they're going yeah, no, by. They're being intentional. Yes. Very much so. Deliberate. Now, uh, Nero's emperor at this point. It turns out he nearly abandoned Britain at this point. He was so... Like, the, the, this force was so terrifying and so effective that he nearly just said, you know what, forget about Britain. Let them do their stupid island things up on their stupid island. Forget all of this. <laughs> I hate this so much. Yep. Suetonius came back from the island. from I hate this uh, so much. <laughs> God, Britain's the worst. I hate him. <laughs> Basically, Nero was a very passionate guy. <laughs> uh, he did not fiddle while Rome burned, but, you know, yeah. he, he had his strong feelings about a lot of stuff. Suetonius returned from Mona. He managed to rally enough Roman troops to to rout the um, the force led by Boudicca. Yeah, I mean, it was a much smaller force, but again, we're talking about this like very tight, disciplined Roman military work where a fairly small force was very effective, even against a much larger one, especially in, in like open battle, like in an, in an open field. They were really, really effective, and a lot of that is from having a semi-professional at this point army where you are doing nothing but army things all day long uh, rather than a bunch of farmers who have grabbed the nearest pointy thing <laughs> and are going to put are that gonna pointy thing go inside to town. you. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, I mean, they have the tight formations. They have the actual like proper shield work to work as a unit. Yeah. They had this way of not making any noise. None of them said anything. They were silent while they marched. And obviously the marching was loud. But this unnerved Celtic people so much. Yeah. Because, I mean, most forces, the the, the Celts included, would psych themselves up by like yelling. Yeah, it's right? anomalous behavior. Yeah, the, the battle cry, right? Yeah. No battle cry. Just uh, like silent marching death. There were whistle commands. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you just had this monolithic unit of men who don't even really look like human beings at that point. Yeah, I, you have to assume that the purpose of that is psychological, right? Absolutely. It's, yeah. partially, it's partially to maintain discipline within the ranks. Like it's sure. useful in terms of like standardization. Yeah. But it's also incredibly intimidating, which is an interesting tactic. The idea of like silence being yeah. that much more intimidating than people yelling at each other. But in every account that we have of enemies of the Romans... Uh, about battles with them that stands out as being an incredibly intimidating tactic so anyways they managed to put the hurt on Boudicca's forces pretty badly they managed to retain the island but just barely like and this made a very strong point to the Romans like no it's not going to be that easy like you have to either win people over or you have to like destroy them completely you can't let this kind of coal simmer underneath yeah because eventually it's going to flare up again we're not sure what happened to Boudicca exactly. Uh, she may have poisoned herself. I was just um, going to say, they, they, they could, you know, conquer entirely or actually ingratiate themselves. Or, and just mm-hmm. hear me out here, sure. you could not flog the, the wife and rape the children of a king who gave you some land. 2020 hindsight, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe could handle that better. Just Maybe they saying. could have handled it better. And, and I mean, it, it was a big wake-up call for them, absolutely. Never should have done that, deserved yeah. what they got. And, and you know, it, it really taught them a lot about what it took to keep Britain in check because, you know, in Gaul, they could have gotten away with the stuff that they were doing. Yeah. 
Britain was a little bit different. I don't know. There was there, there's something culturally because they're so separate. They they weren't the same as the continental Gauls, both both culturally and like even even militarily. The the, uh, the British um, or or the Britons I should say fought with um, chariots, which was like really novel to the to the Romans. They'd never seen that before. None of the Gauls on the yeah. continent would use that. Uh, terrifying, but but really effective. I mean, they have a lot of you know when we're talking about like the English lowlands. There's a lot of ground that you can cover very quickly in a chariot. It's very effective. Yeah. And Boudicca would like like famously like command from her chariot with like her daughters like on the chariot around her, which is a great image. I was just gonna say that is both like amazing and slightly terrifying. Yeah. And by slightly, I mean incredibly. <laughs> yeah. So like a lot of people would like. Uh, there were a couple of em- emperors that like actually like asked for British uh, chariots as like souvenirs from Britain because <laughs> they were just so intrigued by them. Yeah, because it like, wasn't really one of those. <laughs> you know they, the way they used it was so much different than than what they would see from like a an Eastern uh, chariot, like something that would come from like Persia or yeah. So yeah, they they were they were just fascinated by those. How were the Eastern ones used in comparison? I, just for transport? No, they were used in battle as well, but but the, the tactically were different. I don't know a ton about chariot warfare i'm not sure exactly how they were different but the the troops that were there found them very unexpected like they, the way they used them was not what they were expecting out of chariot warfare call of duty negative a thousand chariot yeah. warfare awesome <laughs> <laughs> the way they decided to re- react to this oh i i, I was saying Boudica. yeah she may have poisoned herself mm-hmm. not wanting to be captured uh she may have just fallen ill and died we don't know again there's going to be a lot of spots where i'm just going to be like oh I, I don't have a record of that yeah, thing because like, the Romans didn't write it down. Yeah. And well, that's, that's all we really had. Damn them and their patchwork record keeping. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very ethnocentric. It's, you know, which is again, what, what we were talking about earlier about the, the comparison to uh, expansion into native American territories, right? Yeah, like, exactly. You know, they're they're going to write down what they care about, not what, what the people they're conquering care about. And that's, uh, it, it leaves some of these pictures sorely lacking. Yep. But anyways, they, they decided to respond by making sure that they had a bit better grasp on what was going on and they you know, militarily. And so they, they started a campaign throughout the, the island to quell all of the most militant groups that had been attacking uh, Roman forces. Uh, it, was, it was led by a guy named Gnaeus Julius Agricola. And he spent the years between 78 and 84 slowly moving north, both both in exploration and in conquest, basically. Mm-hmm. And he actually got all the way up to the northern tip of Scotland. He uh, he kind of followed along the eastern coast and, and made it all the way up into Scotland before he was recalled. But even though he kind of like, he, he was defeating people in what would become Scotland, we, we would call them Caledonians, like that section of the island is known as Caledonia. Okay. I don't know. Brit- British geography gets a little bit... Uh, Everything has four different names in the Venn diagrams. Get yeah, real weird. you've seen the CGP Grey video about the naming oh. conventions, right? It's, and that's it's, just the more modern naming conventions. Yeah, it's, it's, it's confusing. A, it's a very good video yeah. and, and it does a, a lot of, it's really helpful to visualize it while he's talking about it. But it's one of those ones where I watch and I'm like, oh, I get it now. And I walk away and 20 yeah, minutes it's later, it's like, like, I'm not sure I do actually. It's like, I, I don't know if I forgot it or if I just don't, I don't think I ever stu- understood it at all, but <laughs> he convinced just, me that I did. Maybe I just got convinced that I understood it. That's <laughs> yeah. a, entirely possible. It is a good video though. But anyways, I mean, yeah, he, he, he defeated a lot of these tribes, but he was, he was recalled to Rome because, you know, generals would only serve a certain uh, term and then they'd be called back usually for bigger and better things if they were successful. Mm-hmm. And his time came up and he left and the, 
the Roman troops withdrew back to the south and, and Caledonia, Scotland, was essentially left alone for quite some time, which is a really bad move on there. I was end. just going to say, that's not going to backfire at all. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he withdraws from uh, he withdraws from the north. Uh, the Romans basically stay in the south end, basically, you know, what would become England, and even then more in southern England than northern England. Mm-hmm. And slowly just through kind of culturalization, the Romans become, or sorry, the uh, the Britons become more and more Romanized, at least in that area. And anyone that wasn't willing to do so was defeated decisively enough to make sure that they wouldn't be a problem. And Britannia became a, a more or less stable province, at least for now. <laughs> and I think that's a really good place to take a break because... Uh, after this, we're going to see a couple more flare-ups, a couple more rebellions, mm-hmm. and eventually we're going to have an emperor come along, Publius Aelius Hadrianus Augustus, who's going to decide that maybe there's a better solution to all of this. That's an exciting name. And I know that's what you're real excited for. I know. Which is why we're going to stop here for today. <laughs> okay. And uh, we'll talk about all of that next time. Sounds good. The premature end of the campaign into Caledonia seemed like a non-issue in the mid-first century, and for good reason. The northern tribes would be quiet for decades, and virtually all of what would become England settled into a mostly happy provincial Roman life. Next time on HI 101, we're going to see some of the remnants of that decision as a destructive force spreads south, the Picts. This will lead to one of the most famous borders in Roman history, Hadrian's Wall. That episode will be up on February 15th. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.